This month's podcasts are sponsored by Aubergine Legal. Do you sometimes worry that your business isn't meeting all its legal compliance requirements and wonder if you're ticking all the legal boxes? Are you losing sleep worrying about a piece of legislation that you may or may not be complying with? Perhaps you need some help with your client contracts or your data protection compliance. Or maybe you're worried that your website doesn't have the right documents or legal notices in the right place. Perhaps you have a brand that you want to protect with a trademark. How about if you could outsource it all and eliminate all of your worries? If so, then get in touch with Aubergine Legal, a friendly commercial legal consultancy offering practical and clear commercial legal advice without the overwhelming legal jargon, taking the worry away and helping you to protect your business and minimise your risks. Aubergine offers a free 30-minute consultation if you have any questions or want to find out if they can help. And you can access this link and book your free 30-minute call via the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Bring Your Product Idea to Life podcast. This is the podcast for you if you're getting started selling products or if you'd like to create your own product to sell. I'm Vicky Weinberg, a product creation coach and Amazon expert. Every week I share friendly, practical advice as well as inspirational stories from small businesses. Let's get started. Hello, it has definitely been a few years since we did an episode all about logistics and today I am delighted to have Sam Anderson on the podcast. So Sam is from Order Fulfillment Experts and she gives e-commerce businesses peace of mind and frees up their time so they can focus on the bigger things. So what Sam's company does is anything logistical for your business. So her company works on fulfillment, on shipping, on Amazon prep, all kinds of other things and Sam was really generous with her time she answered I had so many questions about the logistics um, of running a products business when it's a good time to outsource how do you outsource what kind of things can you get somebody to do for you um, and she has some really really great advice and tips as well as well as some advice on about the common mistakes she sees people make um, and we talk about all of this in a lot of detail this is a really actionable episode and however you manage your storage and fulfillment now I definitely think you're going to learn something from this so I would love now to introduce you to Sam So hi Sam, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. Can we start with you please give an introduction to yourself, your business and what you do? Of course. So my name's Sam Anderson and I'm the founder of a company called Order Fulfillment Experts. And basically, um, we are the logistics part of e-commerce. So um, we pick, pack and post online orders, not just direct to consumer humor but also to retailers and wholesalers we store the stock here and as orders come through um we're an outsourced logistics department if you like for our e-commerce business owners and they we then obviously um distribute their products that's brilliant thank you and it sounds well you do an awful you do an awful lot there and do you work with businesses of all sizes so do you work with really small businesses as well as the larger ones yes I mean we are a small fulfillment house as they as fulfillment houses go in the sense that um you know we're not Amazon-esque point of phrase um so the, the sorts of customers that we have range from you know a handful of orders going out daily up to about sort of 350 to 500 orders a day um, and um, we do, we, unlike other fulfillment houses, you know, we don't have that minimum spend or minimum amount of racking or number of orders that need to go out. So 
when I set the business up over 10 years ago now, um, we very much focused on the army of home-based business owners who were perhaps, you know, bubble wrap all over the kitchen table or in the garage. They had everything racked out and they were getting to that painful stage of, oh, I'm not working on my business. I'm working in it. And that's when um, we would normally step in and take 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 over the the fulfilment for them. So, um, but yeah, we we really do work with a really eclectic mix of different e-commerce business owners. That was really useful, Sam. Thank you for that. When you just said that about people working in their businesses and not on their business, that leads in really nicely to what I wanted to ask you about, which is if someone's listening and they're thinking, oh, I might like to outsource my fulfillment and maybe, you know, they're right at the beginning of the journey. What's the, why are some reasons that people might want to outsource it, first of all? And I think you've just touched on one there, which is when you're just spending all of your time um, packing rather than creating or marketing and all of the other things. And what are some of the, yeah, what are some of the benefits of, of outsourcing it? So um, it is important to actually make that decision at the right time. And that why, that's why your question is such a good one, because we have had customers come to us at the wrong time. We've had customers and maybe um, by answering the wrong time to come to us, that will help sort of narrow down the right time. Because um, we have had customers come to us when they haven't even really launched their products and um, they have great plans and they think it's all going to be spent an awful lot of life savings perhaps on, on product and marketing and things like that, but they haven't road tested it and they haven't actually been there and done that and got the t-shirt before they then know it's time to outsource. So I think really it is very much that it's a tried and tested business concept. You know it worked. You know you've got the margin to um, allow for someone else to fulfill it for you. It doesn't mean it's mean it doesn't necessarily mean sorry that it costs an awful lot to outsource. It it just means that you know uh, you do perhaps need to think about building in that infrastructure in terms of costs. To your business when you're looking to uh, become scalable. If you always plan to stay small and just do it yourself, then obviously that's a completely different ball game. But if you do plan to scale the business, you do need to build in those infrastructure costs for, to be able to do that. And so anything that's been tried and tested, you know the concept works, you know you've got a market for it, and you can see the orders going out yourself, and you've already established the things that don't work perhaps a little bit and how to pack things and how what returns policy you need and um what how you like things done in terms of cut the presentation of the parcel to the customer and what distribution channels you'd want to use then then that is normally a really good time to move it over um because you know that obviously the business can afford to outsource it and it will also then take it to that next level in terms of growth and scalability thank you so much for explaining that I think that's really useful and I particularly liked what you said about thinking about building in you know into your margins the cost of the fulfillment because of course if you're using fulfillment centers a cost involved because it often surprises me that when businesses start to sell their products on Amazon which is what I specialize in and we'll talk about that a bit more later they will often say to me okay what do Amazon charge for for you know what are their storage fees what are their shipping fees 
because they want to build that into their margins. Um, and I often say, well, how are you fulfilling your orders now? Because actually there's not often a huge difference in terms of the costs. And I feel like, yeah, I'm often quite surprised when we get to that stage and they say, oh, I need to build that in. And I think, oh, I'm often surprised they haven't built that in already, assuming they've had a product that they've been yes. selling, whether they've been taking it to the post office or using a fulfillment house. So, yes, yeah, so I think that's a really good thing to think about. I think at the beginning of your journey with your mm. products, however you're going to fulfill it, not just when you get to the stage of thinking about getting someone to help with that. Absolutely. And I think it also boils down to the value of your time, how you value your time. And if you value your time at £50 an hour and you're sticking stamps on things, that's not effective use. Yeah, that's a really good, that's a really good point. And are there any other benefits to outsourcing your fulfillment other than, other than the time, would you say? So, um, invariably it can in fact save quite a bit of money as well it really does depend on each individual business as to how much money it can save but obviously a fulfillment house generally would have um, economies of scale by sending out through all the various uh, courier networks as well as royal mail which means that um, postage and couriers tend to be less expensive um packaging bought in in bulk and then also obviously uh i mean the fulfillment houses bread and butter is going to be uh the actual time they spend doing the actual fulfillment and they will make a little markup on the postage they'll make a little markup on the packaging and then uh the storage and any goods in or stock decks and things that you get asked to do so but um, generally, they're getting economies of scale, which means that even if you do outsource it, you possibly pay less than you are now anyway. Um, but particularly when you factor in the cost of your time, um, because uh, obviously um, that that's probably going to be the biggest difference in it. And yeah. That's really helpful. Thank you. And one thing that you're not you're not saying, and possibly because you're being very modest, or maybe this is something that's unique to me, is that when I had my products business, one benefit that I found when I outsourced the fulfillment is it all looked nicer. So everything was just packaged a bit better than when I was doing it. So I do think that's, you know, not for everyone, because some people have that gift, don't know, of being able to package an order. Sometimes I buy things on Etsy and it's all packaged and it's beautiful and I don't have that skill. So for me, that was definitely <laughs> a huge one is I just felt like the, the experience the customer was getting was so much nicer um, when I was paying somebody else to, to do that. And of course they did it to the requirements that I had but yeah I think that was something huge and that's something else I wanted to talk to you about because I know that one thing you can do is you don't just put every order in a in a box do you and, and put it in the post so can we talk a little bit about some of the things that you can do to personalize the customer experience and why businesses might want to consider how they package up their products absolutely yes of course so um and that was a really good point at uh, about things looking better when they do arrive and also being able to make sure that uh, orders stay pace and they go out in a really quick, timely fashion. Um, that also, obviously, when you're doing it yourself, sometimes you just think, oh, I can't be bothered to go to the post office today or I have missed in my collection or what have you. Whereas, of course, the perception from a customer will be a lot greater if you are making sure those orders are going out all the time. In terms of bespoke 
um, packaging and so that it really stands out for your customer base in terms of what you're delivering in. We do get asked to do all sorts of different things. So whether some of them are to make it look as though it's gone through a fantasy postal system. Um, and uh, that's really quite fun. So we've got a, um, a Terry Pratchett's legacy stuff in the disc world and we're sending out um, things that make it look as though it's gone through a completely fantastical postal system that he's written about in one of his books. Other things can be, uh, we've got a customer who works in quite a competitive industry, actually, but they've differentiated themselves by creating um, short runs of exclusive artwork on large postcards and then also including um, retro suites into their packaging. And so they're then actually becoming the preferred supplier, despite the competition in the market, because they're adding this extra value and people are now wanting to collect the pieces of artwork, which is lovely. So no matter what industry you're in, you can always set yourself apart by really offering just a, uh, thinking through an additional um, element to what you're trying to deliver and trying to put a smile on that customer's face when they get it. That's really interesting. And I, I love that Terry Pratchett example you, you gave. That sounds really fun. I'm tempted to buy something now just to see how it arrives. And um, so is that something that a fulfillment centre can do for you then? If if you have requirement, I mean, I know, I know you can't speak for, for everyone, but certainly something, if, if a customer came to you and said, I want you to put this in the packaging and tie a bow and whatever, you know, whatever it is, put a card in, is that is that all things you're happy to do? Yes, well, that's actually why quite a lot of customers would come to us because they want a bespoke service. And unlike the larger fulfillment houses out there who are entirely systems led and perhaps will say, this is how we work, you have to fit in with that. We ask our customers, what would you like? And we will fit in with that. Obviously, we do have to have um, a degree of uh, systematization, but in parallel with that, we also can do very much more bespoke things for our customers. So um, I'm not saying that there aren't other fulfillment houses out there that won't do bespoke, but that's our niche. That's really where we sit is where customers would like something a little bit out of the ordinary and or to deal with the business owner. And uh, we also have like a buddy team that manage a portfolio of customers and they're on WhatsApp with our customers all the time. So it's that added customer service as well as as opposed to just having to raise a ticket, for example, be able to speak one. So, um, but yeah. The bespoke side of it is definitely um, something that's growing in the market as well, so that uh, e-commerce businesses stand out from the crowd. Yeah, that's really nice that you can offer that personal touch because you're right that it's it's quite. I think it's quite rare to get that, and I think it's it's really nice that you can offer that personal service to customers by offering the bespoke packaging up of products, but also that you have that relationship with customers as well. Because I feel it can be hard I think this can be a hard thing to outsource in the sense of you don't have that control you know because I'm I'm sure that it's important to your customers that things are packaged in a certain way and they're presented as they need to be presented so I think it could 
I can see it being quite a hard thing to hand over to somebody, especially if you've been doing it yourself and you know you've been doing it as you want and you've been doing it really well. I can see that that's another hurdle to get over as well. Very much so. It's that psychological hurdle of having to let go to be able to scale the business. And it's a really tough one, really hard. And um, everyone that I speak to in their head, they know they have to do it, but their heart is struggling a little bit to take their business to the next stage. Um, So we're very familiar with that sort of internal struggle our customers might have when they're initially wanting to come on board with us, which is why, you know, we try and do as much as we can to make them comfortable. We have an open doors policy. We have a live Google Meet running all day, every day they can jump on. We have open WhatsApp groups dedicated with their buddy teams and I'm in on so that they can communicate with us whenever they like. And obviously our systems and processes and things they've got full access to and they get their full reports as to what's done. We'll even sort of video things and photograph them and send them through on the WhatsApp group so they can see their products as they come in and make sure they're happy with how it was delivered in from their supplier and all those sorts of things. So, um, yes, it's, um, it's really just building that trust so that they know that we will care about it um so that they know that um yeah it's looked after well thank you for explaining all of that and it sounds like you do an awful lot um and we mentioned right you mentioned right at the beginning that as well as doing b2b fulfillment from i guess customers websites and ebay and and other marketplaces that you also do some b2c fulfillment for wholesale orders and things like that um i would really like to know um, from your perspective, what the difference are between fulfilling B2B and B2C orders and whether that's, you know, whether you're doing it yourself or whether you're outsourcing it. Is there anything that people need to be aware of? I guess, particularly if you're moving from solely B2B to B2C. Yes. So um, B2C n- tends to require a lot more uh, just-in-time approach to everything because you would need to make sure the orders you get in that day go out that day so the customer receives receives them the next day. Um, Unlike with B2B, where if it's a retailer expecting something or a wholesaler, you generally have a slot that you need to deliver in on and a timed so you've got you know your 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 actual diary and your forecast projections in terms of um product that needs to go in and you can watch how it's being sold and therefore plan accordingly with b2c it can be a lot more volatile you could maybe have an advert that goes out in a newspaper and suddenly you've absolutely deluged with orders that you weren't anticipating so um it does have a very different sort of approach in the sense that you have to sort of contingency plan more i would say and build in stock and resources to be able to handle the peaks and troughs that can occur not just seasonally but perhaps you know as I mentioned if an influencer then uh, gets mentions a product and or it goes out on the media somewhere that can have a direct and of course it's so important when that happens to make sure you respond really well because otherwise it kind of does you a disservice if you don't so um Yes, B2C is uh, a lot more dynamic than B2B, I would say, in terms of like needing to really make sure that everything is kept, um, everything goes out same day, really. 
That sounds, yeah, thank you so much for explaining it. I'm thinking, well, I hadn't actually thought about it at that level of detail, but it sounds like stock management is so, so key here, particularly if you're running both B2B and B2B, well, well, well whichever, I guess. Um, uh, we haven't even touched on stocks, Sam. What do you do in terms of helping customers m- manage their stock? Well, funnily enough, we encourage them not to have too much. Having said what I've just said, that seems a bit sort of counterintuitive. However, uh, as you probably know, Amazon only really want to hold about 90 days worth of stock. And there's a good reason for that, because obviously it allows for any seasonal peaks and troughs. It means that things are turning over in their warehouses and they've not got stock on shelves gathering dust that isn't moving. And I think it's a really good lesson that we can apply to all of our e-commerce businesses because um, it really doesn't make sense, especially for a smaller and growing e-commerce business to overstock simply because obviously you're paying so much for the stock, but also then the storage space. And if you're not sure how quickly you're going to sell it, you can end up, you know, the whole cost of that stock, including the extended storage, can actually sort of skew your 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 margins and your business model. The 90 days is a pretty good starting point. And obviously it's not an exact science because you cannot take into account, you know, unprecedented uh, peaks and troughs. However, um, I do think that um, it's one of the metrics I look at is the yield of my racks. And it's a good metric that e-commerce business owners could look at as well in terms of the amount of space you've got, how much is actually coming in and going out and actually turning. Because that's what you want. You don't want bucket loads of stock. You want a really high yield on the amount of orders you've got going out for the amount of storage space that you require. And that's the sign of a really healthy business, e-commerce business. And if you start to notice you've got more coming in than going out and you're having to increase your storage all the time, that's a really good sort of alarm signal to look at why is that happening? What do we need to do to fix that? Um, Because having bucket loads of stock isn't necessarily, you know, the most sensible thing to do. That's so helpful. Thank you. And it sounds, I like the 90 days or or whatever it is, because I guess that might depend based on the business and how long like production takes, for example. But I think it makes total sense to think ahead and think, okay, how much stock am I likely to need for the next quarter, let's say, and plan Mm. accordingly. Because you're right in that, obviously, quarter four, hopefully everyone will be selling. We hope everyone's going to be selling more and might need a bit more stock and then there were certainly especially if you sell a seasonal product there can be times of the year where things are a bit slower and you maybe don't need to be holding as much so I think that's I think that's a really good reminder to sort of plan stock rather than be to be maybe proactive rather than reactive where possible um because I, I, I definitely see and I'm sure you do too um where you know a certain product gets gets sold out and then there's a wait for more to come in which isn't always a bad thing especially if you can take pre-orders I mean that can be you know that can be great to get the money in and also to build up a bit of excitement that way but equally it can be quite stressful can't it for business owners when they're when you know you're constantly trying to work out how much of everything you have and how long it will last and when you need to be ordering in and things like that 
Yes, definitely. And we saw actually during, um, uh, you know, the supplier issues when, when uh, you know, with, with COVID that people then moved their suppliers to closer to home because although they weren't, um, you know, necessarily as cheap as buying it in from the Far East, actually when they looked at the whole cost of it, uh, including delivery and landed into the warehouse, plus the fact they didn't need as bigger production runs, it actually made more sense from a business strategy standpoint to do it that way than wait for a couple of containers stuck in the Suez Canal, for example, that then arrived and it's out of season, um, which is obviously worst case scenario. But um uh, yes, it, it, there are some amazing, um, the technology available nowadays to be able to forecast and report on historical data based on your your orders and your stock movements is really fantastic. Um, so it is becoming easier. But as you say, it, it's not easy and also especially if you're in the early days of your business and you haven't got any sort of historical data in terms of your stock movements and orders to to look back on, projecting into the future is that much more difficult. But um, it does get easier with time, very much so. That's really reassuring. Thank you. Uh, while we're talking about some of these unexpected things that happen, so the Suez Canal was a really good example of something that nobody I mean, maybe some people, but most of us didn't foresee and and took a lot of people by surprise. And then obviously COVID. Um, but let's talk about some of the more common things that I said when I say un- unexpected, um, perhaps people haven't planned for. So, for example, I think it was last year, there were quite a few Royal Mail strikes. Um, do businesses need to think about having a contingency plan in case things come up? Is that something you recommend? And do you have any other advice about what small businesses can do when some of these things come up that really put a spanner in the works? Yes, I mean, I do know a number of businesses that really struggled during the Royal Mail strikes and um, it was was dreadful to see. And I think it has made everyone within the industry um, contingency plan much more than they ever did because you realise that how reliant people are but it was also a mindset thing I think because the general public realized Royal Mail was on strike they thought well I better not order anything I'll go to the shops instead so it's all about communicating with the customer and saying look I know that the strikes are on but we can get stuff to you anyway we've got these other uh, distribution uh, methods so uh, obviously, we were sending everything out by courier instead of Royal Mail, and um, I think everything was getting through the system. But we did notice, just because of public perception, that they might not get their orders in time for Christmas, that the orders dropped off anyway because they thought, well, I can't take the risk. So it's all about communicating with your customer and saying, look, we can still get this to you. In fact, you'll get a better delivery service because it's coming by courier. Um, and um, yes, being being it's one of the ones that obviously has happened in the past, but I don't think anyone really foresaw it really coming in in the run up to Christmas, which is when everyone in the industry, you know, builds up their bank accounts and, you know, sees them through maybe quieter periods in the year. So it was um, it really could, was devastating for some e-commerce businesses. We know that. Um, and the uh, 
Other thing I've noticed is that people have moved away from using Royal Mail entirely in some instances and are starting to use uh, private courier networks as opposed to Royal Mail um, so that uh, they, they aren't beholden to them so much. Well, that makes total sense. I think especially when you, if you have been burnt, let's say, I can definitely see that you might think of okay, how are we going to do things differently going forward? And that makes sense. It, it sounds like having some sort of contingency in place, if you're doing your own fulfillment especially, is important just thinking through, okay, should this happen again, what would I do? If it's okay, Sam, I'd love to change mm. the subject um, mm. entirely, actually, and talk a little bit about Amazon. Because yeah. um, as you know, that's something that, yeah. um, that I specialise in and um, Amazon fulfillment can be tricky. Um, so we've we've kind of spoken about um, sort of how you might fulfill because I guess how you fulfill customer orders if they were doing Amazon FBM which means fulfilled by merchant obviously that's fairly straightforward for you but what about if customers mm-hmm. are doing Amazon FBA which for anyone who doesn't know what that means that's when you send your stock into Amazon for Amazon to fulfill for you um, so let's talk a bit about what kind of things you need to consider before sending any stock into Amazon So, um, we, we, oh, wow. So there's, um, it, every single product seems to have its own rules and regulations. And, uh, therefore it's quite difficult to be prescriptive about this because every single type of product will have different sets of rules and regulations to adhere to. From our that's perspective, true. So we're I guess the first thing to say yeah. worth knowing. So sorry to interrupt them. So I guess that's one thing actually to to say to people is that if you are looking to send your products into Amazon, have a look about what the requirements are for your specific product. Um, because yes, you're right, every single thing you send is different. So sorry to interrupt Sam, but I thought that was worth worth letting people know that whether you're there fulfilling orders themselves or asking someone else to do it, it's worth knowing what the rules are at the outset. Very much so. And so um, for the examples that we've got here where we're sending um, palletized goods into Amazon for them to be sold on Amazon Prime, we get a very, very prescriptive set of instructions from the customer slash Amazon in terms of how it needs to be presented to them. And um, we will then uh, spend quite a lot of time relabeling, rebagging, resealing, um, uh, basically having to rework entirely the product in some instances so that it is um, the right presentation for them. Uh, so that when they it is receipted into their warehouse, it works with their own systems and processes. So, um, I mean, obviously working... I have a lot of customers who would love also to uh, work with you and go work on Amazon, you know, get their products into Amazon as well, because having selling off of multiple sales channels is, um, is, can only really benefit your brand or your sales. Um, I can't see any other disadvantage from it unless, of course, there, there are some brand restrictions. And um, you do need to speak to someone like yourself who's an absolute specialist in it because it is a minefield. And we know that from the specific things that we're asked to do to send out. Every single thing we do is completely different. Um, we now actually got um, uh, people on board who will 
specifically deal with product assembly and product repackaging for to go back into Amazon because it is a job in its own right in many respects. And um, you need to have, you know, head on your shoulders to do it because it can be quite specific. So um, I'm sorry I can't be more generalistic about it um, because, uh, you know, the examples that we get, that we send out are quite complex. And I think that's because we attract that kind of customer. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, the best thing to do is to leave it to people that know what they're doing. That's really, honestly, the best thing to do. That is really helpful. Thank you. And I know you say it's generalistic, but I think it is a, still a really helpful response because people often don't realise the requirements for sending things into Amazon. I mean, something that comes up time and time again with my clients is the relabeling because sometimes you have to relabel, sometimes you don't have to. And um, it seems to be luck of the draw. There doesn't actually seem to be some logic behind some of the decisions that are taken. Um, but I know also that sometimes, yes, repackaging has to be done or there needs to be additional packaging added and it is a bit of a nightmare. So I guess my best advice here is to be really clear on what's expected before you make the decision, okay, is this something I want to pursue? And I mean, as you won't be surprised to hear me say that I do think selling on Amazon is a good option for lots of businesses, not all. Um, I do think getting Amazon to do your fulfillment 99% of the time is a good idea. Again, not not always, just as you'll know, every business is so different. But I think if you are going mm-hmm. to consider it, you need to go into it with your eyes really open and know exactly what's required because some people um do make the decision actually this is a bit too much of a headache and I think that's fair enough because it is um and I think that's why we're getting quite a bit of business that way because they they can then hand it off and go okay well it's someone else's headache now (laughs) yeah (laughs) and I, I actually think that's a good solution and that's something I often say to people is if you if you don't feel that's something you want to do it is worth you know looking at maybe getting someone to do that for you because it's none of it is impossible it's just it's just I think a headache is a really good way to describe it isn't it it's just an irritation um So before we finish off, Sam, we've covered so much today and thank you so much. Um, But what I would love to talk about to talk about now, um, and I say it's a bit strange to tell me something I'd love to talk about, but um, I would like to know, because obviously you've got so much experience. I think it'd be really useful for our audience to hear some of the mistakes that you see, not to end on a negative point, because I think these would be really good practical things that that everyone can learn from. So can you talk us through um, as many as you like of the things maybe that we haven't covered already that you think would be really useful for people to, to take away? Absolutely. Yes, that's no problem at all. And as you say, I do think we have covered quite a few already. So, for example, not overstocking and making sure you've got um, the right amount uh, of stock in place and testing before you you, you take the plunge and particularly if you're then going to outsource. one other mistake that comes to mind is that customers, when they uh, can, can dilute their efforts a little bit in, uh, when they're looking to tackle new territories. So, for example, we've had customers that have set up um, uh, for, with stock in other continents, particularly in the US, and they've... Um, done that because they've seen great success in the UK and potentially Europe as well um, fulfilling into Europe but they want to get a next day delivery into the States and we on nearly every occasion we've seen that they've found it actually 
less costly and easy to just fulfill into those continents directly from one point because they've ended up having well two or three businesses that all have very different sort of customer bases and markets and need servicing in different ways plus of course obviously there's the accountancy side of it there's the um, exchange rate side of it and um I, I think it just uh, is something that is obviously can be done um, uh, uh, when when the time is right. Um, but I think it's making sure that you, it, you don't make that decision too soon because I've noticed in a lot of companies that have lost a lot of money trying to get into other international markets by setting up fulfillment houses in other parts of the world and then realizing actually they 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 haven't got the resources to run it as a set, as another business as effectively. Um, so the other things we, we have actually spoken about are obviously personalization. That's an absolute big one. Um, and then we're also obviously um, sales channels. Um, we obviously have talked about Amazon and I've also seen people go to the nth degree and have sell-off in, in fact, too many channels. So, for example, you might they have a pop-up uh, shop or a showroom. They might be at trade fairs. They might sell off a group on Wayfair, eBay, as well as Amazon and their own website. And and whilst you can't sort of do them down for the effort and enthusiasm, in actual fact, again, they were just really they needed to nail one thing down really well, and then move on to the next. Um, because they were dissipating their efforts and actually it ended up having an overall sort of negative effect on the business because they were exhausted. I mean, it sounds exhausting just thinking about it, actually. <laughs> so, um, so, yes, um, I think, you know, um, that 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 is one thing that we as well that we've seen. Um, something else that comes to mind is um, thinking that more product lines mean that you'll get more business doesn't always we've had customers that have brought in more and more product lines and it doesn't necessarily equate to more and more sales um and um the other thing that does sort of make me think is that sort of just not always hyper branding your packaging because um especially in the run-up to christmas um even Royal Mail send out white vans um, and without wanting it to be sound, you know, unfortunately, people do have sticky fingers. So anything that looks very luxurious and that isn't going fully tracked can go awry. So when you before you start spending a fortune on, you know, hyper branding your packaging, um, think about obviously your customer base and your sale point and whether the customer's happy to pay for a full end-to-end -end tracked signed for service for that to be delivered. And if that's a yes to all those things, then go for it. But I have seen people do ultra hyper branding on stuff and then send it second class and of course it goes missing. So um, I'm sure there are more, but I, I <laughs> those are the ones that came to mind for just now. That's really helpful. Thank you so much, Sam. And I know that you have a download, don't you, with your top 10 mistakes that you see on there. Um, and we'll make sure that that's available somehow from the show notes for this episode as well. So people will be able to go and get hold of that because I do think that would be, you know, it's a really useful resource. I've read it and I think, I, yeah, there was lots of things to consider in there. 
Oh, thank you. Yes, absolutely. Make that available for people and no problem whatsoever. Brilliant. Thank you. And before we finish off, I've got one final question. And this actually seems a bit mean given what you have shared, um, but we'll try anyway. What would your number one piece of advice be around the logistical side of running an e-commerce business? I would say cost it out. I've had quite a few customers come to me and then realize that they've not really built it in. And I suppose this now goes full circle because we started our conversation on that, didn't we? And it is something you need to build in uh, to the cost of your business. And um, I've seen so many smaller e-commerce businesses that um, have forgotten to build in those costs and then want to scale but can't unless they put their prices up and obviously they've already got an existing customer base and then it gets difficult. So definitely building costs when you're going through that initial planning stage, look to the future and look to build that in. That's so helpful. Thank you so much, Sam. Thank you for everything you've shared. I think this is going to be a super useful episode for everyone. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Vicky. Absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening right to the end of this episode. Do remember that you can get the full back catalogue and lots of free resources on my website, vickyweinberg.com. Please do remember to rate and review this episode if you've enjoyed it and also share it with a friend who you think might find it useful. Thank you again and see you next week. If you've been inspired to start a podcast in 2024, I really recommend my podcast host, Captivate. Captivate were my top pick when I started podcasting four years ago because of how easy it was for a complete novice like me to get started. I've stuck with them for the last four years because Captivate is still really simple to use. They keep adding great new features like the ability to share ads like these and they've just been really reliable. So when you're ready to start your own podcast, you can use the link in the show notes and get a free seven day trial with Captivate.